Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology, mental health, and self-growth. Although topics discussed on this podcast are similar to therapy, Psych Talk is not a replacement for therapy and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk. I am so excited for you to join me for today's episode. Today I have a very special guest with me, Chelsea Swafford. Chelsea, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. So can you introduce yourself a little bit about your background and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm Chelsea and I am located upstate South Carolina. Um, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in education um, and I taught for about two years um, it just was not, was not for me. Uh, so I did a little bit of work, um, on myself, had some things to, to work through and through that work, I found social work. So I am currently, uh, halfway through my MSW at Ohio State University. Um, and as of right now, my plan is to get my clinical social work license and work with adoptees and the LGBTQ plus community. That's awesome. I know it probably feels like graduation is so far away, but the fact that you are halfway there is amazing. Is amazing. Um, So you just mentioned your plan of working with adoptees as well as the LGBTQ plus community. And today we're going to be discussing adoption trauma. So can you share your story of adoption as much or as little as you feel comfortable and why you're so passionate about talking about adoption trauma? Sure. Um, so I was adopted at a very young age, uh, six days, I think. Um, and I was also told at a very young age that I was adopted. I was in elementary school, um, and I remember the day pretty vividly. It was pretty rough because mm-hmm. um, I didn't really understand at that age. Didn't really, couldn't really explain my emotions. Uh, you know, growing up when I was younger, I didn't really feel any different. I didn't really feel like anything was missing. But you know, looking back as I got older and as I worked on my own mental health, um, you know, I see things a whole lot differently now. Uh, I think it was around middle school, maybe when I started wondering, you know, like, who do I look like? Who do I act like? Where does my love of music come from? Because I've been a musician. Where does my athletic ability come from? Uh, You know, all the stuff kids want to know or already know, have knowledge of. Um, And I just started wondering, Um, you know, fast forward to my senior year of high school, I started getting a friend request on Facebook. The profile didn't have a photo. They, I didn't recognize the name. So I just kept deleting it and it would instantly come back. So I was like, who is this person? You don't have a photo. I don't know your name. 
happened for weeks. And eventually they posted a photo. And I was like, man, this person really looks familiar. But I don't know who they are. So, you know, I did what any 17-year-old would do. I went to my adoptive mom. I was like, hey, do you know this person? Like, who are they? We have no mutual friends. They look familiar. But I don't know who they are. And she was like, well, you know, I think. And I was like, mm, that's that's the answer I needed. I don't I don't need anything else. I know, you know, that's that's my biological mom. So went back upstairs. I very timidly accepted the friend request. Terrified, absolutely terrified. Um, you know, I let it sit for a few minutes, see if she was gonna say anything. Decided to open up chat and be like, hey, are you my biological mom? And I just stared at the computer. Couldn't move. I was frozen. Chat bubbles popped up. Then they disappeared. And then they popped back up and disappeared. (laughs) Trying to figure out what to write. Because what, I mean, what do you write? You know? (laughs) I Um, am no help for that. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Um, All I got was a yes. That was the only response that I got. I mean, what, you know, what are you supposed to say? And, you know, eventually we arranged to meet um, just a few hours driving distance between us. Uh, Had my adoptive parents go with me the first time. And, you know, I'm pretty awkward. I'm an awkward person. But let me tell you, (laughs) those were the most awkward few hours I think I've ever been in my entire life. It's like, I can't talk. I don't know what to say. I'm looking at somebody that looks just like me. What, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) Um, Things were good. Things were really good for about two years. Um, I met my little sister. Um, My brother was born a couple months after me and my biological mom met. So I got to be around for that, which was awesome. Um, Met my biological dad. He lived five minutes down the road from uh, my biological mom. So they were close, um, but they weren't together. Um, in about two years, I would say, after I met them, they got back together. Um, and I don't know if it was just timing. I don't know if it was now that they had mutual ground. I don't know. Um, and, you know, things kind of started to change and... I don't handle change well. (laughs) Um, So I did not adjust well to that at all, um, honestly. And, you know, my biological mom just stopped answering my phone calls. Eventually, I would get a text back maybe every now and then. Um, And then eventually all communication just ceased um, and with no explanation. Um, And for lack of better words, that wrecked me um you know I lost all sense of purpose I went back to the negative coping mechanisms that I had um and I started self-harming again and there were days it was daily um and depending on how I was feeling multiple times a day um you know as time went on my mental health just kept declining kept declining kept declining and you know, I felt like I had nothing left. I felt like I had no purpose in this world. Um, you know, my thought process was more so like, if I'm not good enough for my biological mom, 
then who am I good, good enough for, you know? Um, so September of 2014, um, it was my senior year of college. I was student teaching. I had kept great grades, still had all A's through it all. Um, hyper-focused mm-hmm. a lot on school. Um, but September of 2014, I left my house and that day I had no intention of coming back. Um, I left a note for my adoptive parents. I left a note for both of my biological parents and I left a note for my sister. Um, and when I got to school that morning, uh, my supervisor, they noticed something was off. Um, I've only known this person a year and a half off and on. So they didn't, they didn't really know me that well, you know, um, but they were like, Hey, you know, you're, you're not yourself. Like, are you, are you okay? Um, and we talked for a little bit and she said, why don't you call your mama? I was like, let me just get through the school day. Just let me, let me get through the day. Uh, she said, I would love for you to, but I think, I think you should call your mama. (laughs) Um, so I did. I called my adoptive mom um, and if I remember correctly, I was like, hey, you know, I I really don't want to be here. I need you to come get me. Um, just please, just please come get me. Um, you know, things just started rolling from there. First, it was my PCP and then same day I was a psychologist and just kept rolling from there. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I reached out to that person that was my supervisor and I was like, hey, I don't know how much of an impact you think you made that day, but, you know, you made a huge impact. Um, and, you know, I went seven years without talking to my biological parents. I may have had a conversation here and there, but nothing really. Um, and then a few years back, I decided to reach back out because I was missing them. You know, mm-hmm. it was hard. I was missing things that were happening with my brother and sister. I miss that connection of having a biological person in my life. Um, so I did. I reached out. Um, things were great for about a year. And then the same thing started happening over and over. Calls were few and far between. Text messages started to go unread. Um you know, I would say, Hey, I love you. And it didn't get, didn't get reciprocated. And that, that was the hardest part. You know, when your biological mom won't tell you, Hey, I love you. It's hard. Um, so, you know, I think it's, we can almost reference the definition of insanity here, right? Like doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. It's just not, feasible um but the exception here is is with my sister um you know she kept me going on days where I was exhausted and I didn't know what tomorrow would look like um you know my brother's he's still young so I hope maybe one day I'll be able to reconnect with him and do all of that um but you know because of of all these experiences over the years, you know, I just want adoptees to know like, Hey, like I hear you. I understand you. I get it. 
you know, and I want to help adoptive parents too, like grow and learn how they can better support adoptees because it's crucial. Like Mm -hmm. they're a crucial piece of that. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chelsea, for sharing your story um, and all the, the components. And I'm sure, you know, there are many more details and much more complexities. And um, I just appreciate your willingness to share with all of us. And I'm glad that you and your sister still have a relationship, um, even with all the hurt and pain that came with it. Um, Yeah. And that I always hear those stories of, you know, the people that were going to end their lives and then somebody reaches out and the way that, you know, professors, teachers, whoever it is can make such an impact. Um, Yeah. So I'm sure that teacher really appreciated you reaching out afterwards. I hope so. (laughs) so. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I, I like, I feel bad even like jumping into like, so let's get into the nitty gritty of adoption trauma after you just shared your story. But can you define or describe for listeners what adoption trauma is and maybe describe different ways adoption is or can be traumatic? Because I'm assuming it's not the same for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, it it is completely different for every adoptee. Um, you know, it can be due to maybe a single event or like in my case, ongoing events that happen over, you know, an entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, adoption trauma occurs for an adoptee, but not just for us. You know, it occurs to the birth family or birth families, adoptive parents, anybody. You know, when someone's adopted, um, really at any age, there's unfortunately going to be trauma present. Uh, when you separate a child from their mother, you know, there's what we like to call the primal primal wound, you know, an unresolved trauma. Um, you know, I go back to thinking, you know, when there's a newborn, how much they work for that attachment and they work mm-hmm. for this in the first moments following their birth. I mean, you know, skin to skin contact is mm-hmm. an example. Um, you know, however, in a lot of adoption cases with newborns, the birth mother doesn't get to hold the child. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's taken instantly. Um, and, you know, for adoptive parents, they didn't build that bond those first nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, so there can be attachment issues and it can be difficult for the adoptive parents as well. Um, and then you have a whole other aspect of like interracial adoption or international adoption. It's a whole other entirety and, you know, just a new aspect um, that can be added on because maybe they don't look like quote unquote, the adoptive parents. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can cause an identity crisis and not for anybody. Um, and, you know, like sometimes there's this void that adoptees have, um, you know, we know there's a missing piece and we feel that we feel it constantly and not having that void filled can really be so traumatic. Um, you know, one way that trauma isn't often thought of um, is even being associated with like being open about your adoption, being 
open and willing to share your story. Um, you know, I recently went through something that really shook me to my core. Um, you know, sharing your story can be extremely hard because it's vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? You know, you wonder how you're going to be perceived or what others are going to think of you. But in that vulnerability is sometimes where we can really help others. You know, so much growth can happen in the vulnerability and the uncomfortableness of it. Absolutely. No, you just highlighted so many things. And I, I appreciate you highlighting, you know, being adopted by a different race or international. Cause I, I'm on adoptee TikTok <laughs> and I know that's <laughs> not like as like, Oh, evidence-based as I am. I'm yeah. like, Oh, adoptee TikTok. But I have learned so much. And like, I mean, just with the loss of family, but then you add factors like different ethnicities, races. And then if the adoptive parents are not culturally competent Mm -hmm. or don't teach their kid about their culture, that's another layer of loss and trauma. In addition to everything you highlighted, just like, I don't look like my parents or there's that void. Um, So ultimately what I took away from that, there's so many layers of adoption trauma, starting from birth and beyond. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't want to say never ending, but you learn as you grow, mm-hmm. right? So you get older and you learn new emotions and learn new things about yourself. So it's evolving. It's always evolving. Yeah. So speaking of like adoptee TikTok and me learning so much from that side, um, a lot of what they talk about is like, the adoption industry in the United States. So can you speak to how the adoption industry in the United States, whether it be private adoption or through social services, can then add to adoption trauma from a more systemic level? Sure. So, you know, with a private adoption, um, there's usually three parties involved. You've got the birth mother or the birth family, um, and then the adoptive parent or parents Um, And then you have an adoption agency or an adoption attorney Um, and expenses for private adoption is usually fairly high. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Your fees are going to range from probably around 30 to (laughs) 60,000. And included in that can be a variety of things. Like you've got fees for the home study. You've got courts and legal fees. Um, Pre-adoption and post-adoption trauma for birth parents can also be included in that. Okay. Um, and then you've got the birth parent medical legal expenses. Um, sometimes adoptive parent preparation and training can can be included in that. And then your social work services, um, you know, that's needed to match a child with a prospective family. Um, and then post placement supervision until everything's finalized, if if need be. Um, you know, these fees can be adjusted um, based on the adoptive family's income. Um, and the varied costs of some of those those things I mentioned earlier. Um, but there are loans and grants um, available that adoptive parents can apply for. Um, you've got some that come from faith-based adoption organizations and some that are non-faith-based. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have a little bit of variety there. Um, and then adoption through social services. Ooh, that one's heavy. Um, and I don't think it's talked about near enough. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2021, 
there were approximately 391,000 children and youth in the foster care system in the United States alone. Um, but only about 54,000 of those um, were adopted in that same year. And so you're seeing kids, youth in the child welfare system that are there for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I think the estimated wait time for adoption is about 22 months. Um, you know, give or take. Mm-hmm. And you've got the older youth, you know, 16, 17, and siblings and children with disabilities and children of color, and they wait longer. Mm-hmm. They're going to have longer wait times. Um, you know, the cost for adopting through the child welfare, welfare system is, you know, little to none. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the first thing that people think about when thinking about adoption is adopting a newborn. Uh, which is which is the negative side because there's so so many children and youth um, and those that are getting ready to age out of the system mm-hmm. and they're just as important. Absolutely, um, they're just as important. And kids, these kids that go from foster home to foster home, they're going to experience higher levels of trauma because um, they're not going to feel like they have a safe space. Mm-hmm. They're not going to know who to turn to because it's somebody different every time. Um, and you know, those children and youth that are taken from their homes because of abuse or neglect or whatever it may be, they're going to have more trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those that are separated from their siblings. So there's so many, again, so many ways that trauma can come about for an adoptee. Um, I think that's an important thing to really remember is it's not just one avenue. It's. Mm-hmm multiple and I probably can't even come close to naming all of them. Hello. Would you like to learn to meditate or perhaps you've meditated for quite some time? I started around 50 years ago. As you know, meditation is good for lots, including stress reduction, letting go of anxiety, self-exploration, and ultimately awakening. If meditation or awakening interests you, check out my podcasts on Awakening Together with William Cooper. All of them are free. Both the description and the link are in the show notes of this podcast. Oh, absolutely. And you just highlighted so many important things. Because, yeah, I think a lot of people want to, or think about adopting an infant, a newborn. Um, I think a lot of people think of private adoption, um, the expenses. I mean, I see on social media, like I would adopt, but it's so expensive to your point, adopting through social services is not. And a lot of people don't want kids that come with those histories, but to your point that you already highlighted so beautifully is regardless of the age, there's going to come, there's going to be trauma Mm -hmm. associated with it. And, you know, you described older kids, uh, kids with disabilities, um, children of color waiting longer. And I have witnessed that firsthand in the hospital system, even just trying to find foster parents Mm -hmm. for a 16 year old black male, Mm -hmm. like can sit or are medically complex kids. Medically complex babies usually get put in a 
medically approved foster home a lot quicker than our older kids because babies are cute and they don't talk. (laughs) Or like I think of a lot of my medically complex kids that maybe they're the size of a 12-year-old, but their functioning is that of an infant. So it requires a lot more care. And like, I I want the listeners, like I'm not minimizing how much effort it takes. Like it takes a very special person to be willing to take on a medically complex child. And to your point, all of these individuals deserve safety, a loving home, things like that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, there's not enough people in this world to be able to give them what they need. And it's sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's also important to highlight that, you know, the, the purpose of the foster care system or DSS is reunification. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just highlighted some very large numbers. And those numbers are of the children that can't be reunified for whatever reason. There's mm-hmm. no family or parental rights were terminated there there's a host of reasons so yeah it is it is very complex and i am familiar with social services just throughout my work and things like that and i know i am not nearly as knowledgeable as somebody that's in it so the next question i wanted to ask you there are varying views of adoption out there. So like some people think it's this beautiful, wonderful thing. Other people are very anti-adoption, which I have learned a lot from hearing and following adoptees on social media. And many others fall somewhere in between. If you feel comfortable, can you kind of share your perspective on adoption as a whole and why, I guess, would be the cool (laughs) question with that? So I think it's important to remember it can be both like mm-hmm. it can be both beautiful and tragic at the same time and, you know for, for the longest time i always said if i have children you know i want to adopt mm-hmm. um but you know at my age now honestly i don't know if i could fathom having a child go through what i've been through um you know i'd love to say i would know what to do right mm-hmm. that i'd love to be able to make the decision to allow or not allow you know, my child or my children to know their birth parents um, if they wanted that. Um, But in reality, I have no idea what I would do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just as my adoptive parents, I'm sure they weren't, they didn't really know what to do every second. Um, But, you know, they did the absolute best that they can with the knowledge that they had. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wouldn't want my child or my children to be deprived of their beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to know, I'll tell you. Um, and I just feel like, unfortunately, I have been maybe tainted in ways um, with my experience, but I also try to remember that there's other experiences out there. Um, like, I know other adoptees um, that don't want to know, that, and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, while yes, adoption can be this amazing, beautiful thing. Uh, whether it's adopting a newborn or from the child welfare system, wherever, whoever. Um, I think it's just really important to recognize that we're all human. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have emotions and we have feelings, even as a young child who 
can't necessarily verbalize those. Um, and the problem that comes with that is, you know, really attaching words to those emotions and to those feelings. Um, you know, at 30, I feel like I still find myself sometimes unable to attach certain words to certain feelings. Um, but I think one thing that's important to remember is recognizing the adoptee as much as the adoptive parent or parents. Um, I know that can be hard sometimes because yeah. you're like, oh, you know, you're doing such a quote unquote good service for this child or for this youth or whoever it may be. But I just think it's important to recognize the adoptee. And I know that can be hard because um, I've experienced it firsthand. Like it's hard, but I think it's crucial and I think it's important. Mm-hmm. I so I was taking notes while you were talking. So I love that you basically started with a dialectic. It can be beautiful and tragic. Both things can be true about adoption. And I think one that speaks to your experiences and you becoming a social worker <laughs> and kind of like how we frame things in the mental health field. But like it's adoption is not black and white. Like so it's I mean, people may view it that way, like, oh, it's absolutely beautiful or, oh, it's absolutely horrible. But also, as you highlighted, like your experience framed your view and not every adoptee is going to have the same exact experience as you. So their perspective may still be, oh, yes, it's beautiful and tragic, but I lean more on one side or the other. Um, And the other thing I love that you just highlighted was there at the end about you know, the focus a lot of times is on the adoptive parents. You use the term good service for this child. And that's something, I mean, I worked in community mental health when I was in grad school and I worked with a lot of children and youth in foster care and, oh, you're doing such a good service to take in these foster kids. Or you hear a lot with individuals that want to adopt newborns you know, I've always wanted to be a mother. That's why I'm adopting this baby. And it's all about the parent and less focus on, you know, this child needs a safe and loving environment. Mm -hmm. And I want to be the person to provide. It's not as child-centered. Correct. Yes. At least that's my, that's my outsider perspective, but it sounds like that's what I heard from you. Yeah, it's it's also an insider perspective, um, <laughs> at least from my viewpoint. Um, and like I said, I've had personal experience with it, and it it sucks. Um, mm-hmm. But it's part of it, you know. It's part of it, and it's ways we can educate and grow. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of parents, <laughs> um, what should adoptive parents, or maybe future adoptive parents, people that are thinking about adopting, know about trauma? and how they can best support their adopted child. So I think adoptive parents also need to know that they're not alone, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it can be just as important for them to have the resources that they need as it is for the adoptee to have the resources that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, Because adoption can be exciting, but it can be completely overwhelming. Um, You know, adoptees can be both, grateful and they can be heartbroken um they can be happy for the life that they've been given but grieve the life that they've lost Mm. Uh, they can be connected to this amazing adoptive family that they have but 
long for that connection of their birth family. Um, you know, so when an adoptee voices their emotions, you know, it's important to acknowledge them. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean an adoptee is ungrateful mm-hmm. for what they have, but maybe it's just them trying to find their place in the world. Because it can be easy to be lost as an adoptee because <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of unknowns. Um, and I think adoptees need to be able to feel both the positive and the negative um, and sit with that. And for adoptive parents to not really dismiss it or maybe look negatively upon the adoptee having questions or feeling any emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and one important, super important thing that I think adoptive parents or hopeful adoptive parents need to remember is these emotions and these feelings and the expression of them isn't necessarily a reflection on what they have or haven't done. Mm-hmm. Um, but adoptive parents need to provide some encouragement for adoptees to ask questions. If they have questions, ask them, mm-hmm. um, you know, create a safe environment, use some warm and welcoming dialogue, just to use some therapy terms in there. <laughs> um, we have to on this podcast. <laughs> and, you know, as an adoptive parent, like you don't have to have all the answers and mm-hmm. that's completely okay. Um, you know, for a parent who hasn't adopted, they're not going to have all the answers yeah. either. Um you know, but just be honest, listen, um, you know, one support that I really loved when I was younger, um, unfortunately, I don't remember a lot about it. I just remember it taking place was every so often we would go to these huge gatherings um, and it was for adoptees and adoptive parents. And, you know, there were just social functions and I got to run around and play and talk to these other kids that while their stories were vastly different, Mm-hmm. we had a similarity yeah. so we were able to relate and at the same time adoptive parents had that same thing um and it it was it was fun um it was a great time mm-hmm. um I ran into somebody it's probably been 10 years ago but you know they remembered me and they remembered yeah. my adoptive mom and it was crazy. Like I haven't seen these people in years. Um, but it just goes to show what one small thing can really do. Yeah. You know, the connections are, are huge. Mm-hmm. Well, as you were just saying that I'm reflecting on things you said earlier about like feeling lost and not really knowing who you are. So even though the other adoptees aren't necessarily your biological family, it gives you a sense of, you use the word connection or like, okay, I'm not alone in this experience. Other people, although we have different experiences, can relate to what I'm going through. They might not know exactly what I'm going through, but we have that shared experience. And I would imagine, and you obviously can tell me if I'm wrong, (laughs) that that can instill a sense of feeling less alone in, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, just not for, for us adoptees, but it also provided that proponent for adoptive parents as well. That can be hard to find sometimes. And it was just, it was there always. Absolutely. So I, 
for anybody listening, I send my uh, inter- people I'm interviewing questions ahead of time. I am going to ask you a question I didn't plan on asking you, but it's about your experience if you okay. feel comfortable. Um, because we were just talking about parents and you shared in your story that you found out at a young age that you were adopted. Do you think that was like helpful for you knowing at a young age you wish you knew earlier, later? Because I know like, you know, some people are very much like you should be open from birth. I've worked with people that I'll do an intake and I ask for the family history and parents are like, can I talk to you privately? And they're like, yeah, the kid's not mine. They don't know it. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do. So I didn't know if like you had any thoughts or feelings around like age of disclosure about adoption, especially for infant mm-hmm. adoption. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as you, you mentioned, you know, doing an intake. So going to doctors, I'm tired of getting new doctors. Cause it's like, what's your background? I have no idea. <laughs> right. Yep. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, like, um, I'm glad I knew at a young age mm-hmm. because for a while it didn't really change anything. Yeah. Cause I didn't really understand like what, what it was. Um, so most days I'm thankful. Um, other days, I don't know. It can be hard mm-hmm. um, because sometimes like, well, what if I would have never known? What if, you know, there's always the what if. Yeah. There's always going to be a what if. Um, but I'm really glad that my adoptive parents told me early. Okay. Um, maybe it made me wonder a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. But that open communication, that part of it, um now was there always open communication about it no um part of probably due to protecting me and that's okay yeah you know like I said earlier no parents really gonna know what what the right answers are um but me personally you know I I'm grateful that they told me early yeah yeah I just was reflecting on your story and kind of um, thinking about the last question of how to support an adoptive child and time of disclosure is something, um, I've actually talked to coworkers about who have adopted from, um, the social services, but young. And we're talk about like, how do I reduce the trauma in my kid? And I'm like, I can talk about trauma generally. This is not my area of expertise. (laughs) I don't want to give you bad advice, but talking about that disclosure and things like that. So I appreciate you answering my question that I did not plan on asking you. (laughs) Um, So kind of thinking about supporting your child, what resources or interventions do you recommend for individuals experiencing adoption trauma? Um, so obviously I'm a huge proponent of therapy, (laughs) um, but not just because that's what I want to do. It's, it's really been a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was always the kid that never let her friends and family in. I never told anybody what was going on inside my head. Thought I could do it all by myself. Yeah. But, um, I have never been so wrong in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, finding a therapist that's the right fit can be hard. You know, very often it's not going to be that first one that you find. Um, But don't let it scare you away. Um, You know, keep working, keep searching. um, And you'll, you'll find the right person. Um, You know, therapy's not for everybody and that's okay. Um, But as it relates to therapy, you know, you've got 
CBT, which is going to be like your talk therapy, um, which is probably the most widely used when it comes to adoptees and just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but focusing, if you want to be more trauma focused, um, you've got TFCBT um, and then EMDR, mm-hmm. which are also used um, if you want to target, you know, that trauma specifically. And it can be very difficult to find an adoption certified therapist, <laughs> Um, which is another reason why I'm I'm going back to school is mm-hmm. because they are few and far between. Yeah. Um, but they do exist. They are out there. <laughs> um, and they're a huge help um, to our community. Um, and I'm sure I'll pay for this one later. But my therapist is uh, she's hands down one of the most amazing humans that I've ever, you know, been lucky to know. Um, and honestly, I could not do this today without giving her a little shout out. Um, because she's given me tools that I would have never found on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a huge part of why I went back to school. Um, you know, if I can just be half the person for somebody else that she's been for me, then I'll know I'm making a difference. Uh, so if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> um, and like I said, I will probably pay for this later, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, as for other resources, um, adoptee support groups, mm-hmm. adoptive parent support groups. Um, they give a safe space um, and a connection. Uh, you know, it, sometimes it can be as easy as a Google search or if somebody doesn't have access to internet, you know, call in your local mental health center or if you're within walking distance, walk up there and be like, hey, um, what resources do I have? You know, mm-hmm. um, and I know access to therapy and access to all of this can be limited. And unfortunately, it is a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, for some reason, for any reason, don't have that access, you know, just finding that one person or two people that can be your safe space, it's super important. Um, and, you know, I'll go back to a conversation that you guys had on your other podcast welcome to group therapy um (laughs) you know sometimes there's really nothing that can be said you know I think Mm -hmm. Justin mentioned that like sometimes it just sucks yeah um you know which is why I think finding a safe space is super important so if for some reason you don't have access to any of these resources find a person you know reach out you never know um, so just finding that one person or that two people that can be your safe space could truly make all the difference. Absolutely. I mean, obviously I'm biased and, you know, if therapy was accessible to every single person, I would encourage every single person to yes. <laughs> at least try it. Um, but I think sometimes people under underestimate the impact they can make on another person by, cause they're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know. Just be present. Just listen. Mm-hmm things like that. Um, and you know, I love that you brought up like support groups and things like that. Cause I mean, I don't know all the resources out there, but a lot of times like support groups, if they're just, you know, run by individuals that have gone through it, it's free or low of cost. And it's a great way to make those connections. Um, awesome. And I definitely teared up when you were talking about how wonderful your therapist was. And I was like, don't cry on the podcast. Don't cry. I was hoping I could get through that without crying and I did. So 
Well, I cried for you. Like, I was like, don't cry on the podcast. I've cried so much on this podcast. I think I cover it up, though, through talking. Um, okay. So, you know, we're, we're nearing the end. And obviously, we've been talking about adoption and adoption trauma. But I did want to ask, like, what – because obviously, we were just talking about how, like, from the beginning, adoption can be traumatic. So I wanted to ask, what are the alternatives to adoption – if there are any, and do you believe there's a way to make the experience of adoption or these alternatives less traumatic, which you kind of answered in the sense of like that support and things like that, but I wanted to open the floor and ask that. Yeah. So, you know, like you mentioned earlier, um, reunification is for those kids in the child welfare system is going to be your main goal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you want. That's what you hope for that's what you want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it unfortunately just can't be the case. Yeah. Um, so, you know, guardianship placements, mm-hmm. um, you have that with like kinship, family, family or friends, um, you know, just takes, takes place when the basic needs of a child can't be met, unfortunately yeah. by that parent. Um, so a family member or a friend, um, you know, will come into care for the child and these can be temporary or they can be permanent. Uh, depending on what that, that child best needs. Um, but I think this is this is probably the question I stumbled on the most. Um, it really got me thinking because, like I said earlier, you know, adoption is unfortunately going to have some kind of trauma involved, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of why the adoption takes place and the emotions attached to the experience as a whole. Um, and, you know, to help make that experience of the adoption a little less traumatic, um, I think it's going to be important for adoptive parents to gain an education, you know, mm-hmm. on the adoptive experience and the adversities that adoptees can face. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's important for them to be prepared um, as much as they can be, of course. Um, and, you know, with this, I will also reference back to something I said earlier, um, you know, adoptive parents need to be open, honest um and accepting mm-hmm. um because providing this environment for an adoptee can help them open up about what they're feeling or express any difficulties that they're having and not keep it all inside um you know giving the giving children and youth and even you know adults like even at my age um giving them the freedom to ask questions and to learn about their roots you know it's something that can seem so small but to us it's huge mm-hmm. Um, because just like any other child, you want to be safe. You want to feel safe enough to go to your parents mm-hmm. um, and ask them questions or say, hey, I'm feeling this. Can you help? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so as we wrap up, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you want to touch on? Um, Not really, but I think, you know, I think one point that, I really, really want people to take from this, um, especially for other adoptees, is it's okay if you're not okay. You know, it's okay to be afraid. Um, If you want to meet your biological family and you have that opportunity, go for it. But on the other side, if you have no interest in wondering or talking to or meeting any member or members of your biological family, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. um this is your story you're the author and you can write what you want to write you can rewrite it 
but you hold the pen and nobody else does. I love that. And I'm not even going to say anything else because that's a perfect way to end the podcast other than asking you where people can connect with you. If they're listening to this podcast and like, I, I'm an adoptee or, you know, I want to learn more about adoption, adoptees, everything. Where can people connect with you? Uh, so recently I created a new Instagram, um, just to kind of, I don't know, you kind of sparked it in me, I guess, <laughs> asking me to go <laughs> on you. here, but <laughs> you know, um, but my handle on there is super easy. It's Chelsea Talks Adoption, um, and it's C-H-E-L-S-E-Y. Um, that way it makes it super easy to remember. Um, so, you know, you can follow me on there, ask me questions, you know, whatever, it's open. Awesome. And I'll link that in the show notes. So Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and talking about this. And I know, you know, you shared so much and I know there is so much more. So I just appreciate you spending time and educating me and educating all the listeners um, on such an important topic. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me and hopefully it reaches who it needs to reach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you all the listeners for joining for today's episode of Psych Talk and I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.